the overall thing I want to share on comparison is that it's only useful if that comparison inspires you to see what's that gap for you that you would actually like to bridge and to use it as inspiration for you to move forward and to take action. But if at any time that comparison, what I call compare and despair, if you're comparing yourself and just making yourself feel bad about it, then I don't see how that's useful at all. That's confidence coach Pauline Chung back for another week at Embark. Hi, I'm Liz Solar. Thanks for joining us today. And do you suffer from that compare and despair syndrome? If you have comparison anxiety, we're going to try to coach you out of it today. Pauline is here to talk about five comparison traps and how you can quell those nasty little voices inside your head and start thinking about yourself instead of thinking about other people in a good way. First, let's talk about courageous leadership. What is it and how do we cultivate it? There was one great phrase that I heard from a TED Talk speaker by the name of Susan David, who gave a talk about emotional agility. And she said, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear walking. I I love that. That so resonated because we spend so much time trying to overcome fear, get over the fear, or feel the fear and do it anyway. But it's knowing that you don't have full control over the outcome, but you know where you're heading. You, you, you know what it is you're addressing. You know you, you're answering the right questions. And so you're taking action from that space, knowing the outcome that you desire, but also knowing that you know it's not always fully up to you. And we create this uh, mirage, I want to say, that we have absolute certainty that something's going to go exactly that way. And I think it's thrown a lot of people off when they don't feel that way because we've created that mirage that you're supposed to know um, how, how, how something goes. And so when people who dare to walk that path, we think of them as having courage. You know, if we all knew that we have control over our actions and sometimes it does go our way, sometimes it doesn't but that everybody is able to take action. And so courage doesn't seem like this elusive quality that only a few people, few blessed people in this earth have, and the rest of us are mere mortals. We get so judgmental, though, about courage, how we define courage and who we think is courageous. And I can't help but point out the the recent example of Simone Biles and her, what I feel is courage, being able to say, I really need to take a step back and take care of myself, maybe just take a couple of days off and and, and not compete. Some people have been incredibly supportive. I get it. That is courageous because she has so many people depending upon her to succeed, to bring home the gold. Right. There are people who who have felt that sense of vulnerability or just that feeling of, I need to stop now or else this is going to end me in some way. You know, there's a sort of one faction that is overwhelmingly supportive of her. But then there are people who are just throwing barbs at her about how she's not a true Olympian. She has kind of violated the code of Olympic behavior. She's not a winner, basically calling her a loser. I mean, it really depends on what, what your definition of courage is. It doesn't seem that everybody reads it the same. 
Yeah, right. You're absolutely right, Liz. And it's amazing how we we see that judgment and, and, and perspective from one end of the spectrum to the other spectrum. I mean, you find it in every Amazon book that's on Amazon, right? I don't see any books not having bad, you know, one-star reviews or five-star reviews. And it's the same book. Everyone sees it differently. No one knows exactly what's going on inside of Simone, except for Simone herself. And she knows what her body's capable. I mean, she's created some moves that are named after her that even some men can't perform. Some, Some male gymnastics cannot perform. So that's quite incredible in my books. And so if she's not feeling up to it she she's spinning around and she's not knowing how many turns that she's done and she decides this is dangerous for myself I'm not going to put my life at risk that's an act of courage for herself to say no I'm not going to put my life at risk is it worth it she may get her gold she may not she may end up paralyzed nobody actually knows what would have happened had she gone on but she made the decision for herself this wasn't good for her this wasn't good for the US gymnastic team she wasn't just looking out for herself but even if she was if it's a choice between my physical and emotional well-being and bringing home a gold medal which wasn't even guaranteed which wasn't even guaranteed so everybody's projecting so of course the inevitable happens is you know, you get compared. So Simone Biles gets compared to, yes. she gets compared to Sherry Strug, yes. who in 1996 gets a broken ankle and still, you know, lands a move to win the gold medal. She's absolutely pushed by her coach and Carrie Strug herself has actually supported Simone Biles. So we have this in our head, this comparison tape that we play, and then we have the public reinforcing that which makes it very difficult if you want to reinforce that or you can say do you want to keep perpetuating this kind of strive for excellence for medals you know at any cost to to an individual i'm guessing simone is taking this you know so i am projecting now i'm guessing simone is is taking all this on her chin you know she's she she knows what it means to say no and whatever criticism is coming her way She's just taking all that in stride or not allowing it to, to, to get to her. So, and, and that's for each one of us as individuals, that, that's her own prerogative to, to, to do that, right? Exactly. She can turn off all that noise and it seems like she is uh, together enough, a strong enough person to be able to do that. She's strong enough to know I've had enough for now and I need to take care of myself, which I truly yes. admire. For the rest of us who go through life feeling like we are either being compared or continue to compare. We're mere mortals. We're not Olympians. And most of the time, we're just trying to get through life doing the thing that we do. We hope at least moderately well, but we still are nagged by these feelings of not being good enough. And not. it isn't just our internal sense of who we are. It's always holding ourselves up to either uh, an outside standard or another person or another group of people and saying, well, I'm not good because I'm not this. And you wrote a really great piece on the five common comparison traps, which I would love to talk to you about because I think they're universal, they're personal. Most of us will recognize something that we're doing here. What are they and how do we deal with each one to maybe we can't overcome it entirely. It would be great if we did. But how do we take the edge off when we're feeling those feelings of of competition or comparing? 
so I'll quickly go through them. And the overall thing I want to share on comparison is that it's only useful if it that comparison inspires you to see what's that gap for you that you would actually like to bridge and to use it as inspiration for you to move forward and to take action. But if at any time, if you're comparing yourself and just making yourself feel bad about it, then I don't see how that's useful at all. It's a case of noticing when you're doing that to yourself. While you may not stop it right away, at least raise your awareness that, oh, I'm doing this thing to myself again and comparing. And it's not comparing like for like even. And it's not comparing so that it inspires you. It's comparing just to beat up on yourself. And why do that, <laughs> right? Someone that I highly respect was having a was having a seminar, and she had invited me to it. And it was in a really beautiful hotel, and it was being sponsored by Tiffany. And I'm thinking, I'm so impressed. Good for her. And I'm walking through the door, and I see her, and I'm one of the first ones there. And I said, how are you? And she goes, oh, you know, I feel like such a phony, like I'm seeing Tiffany Presents. Yeah. She described how it had been something that was a loop in her mind, you know, and it, she would go through like weeks of torturing herself with this not being good enough and comparing herself to other people who did what she did. And over time, she still has the same feeling, but it's fleeting. She will allow herself to feel that and say, you know what? Oh, why did they pick me? And very quickly, she turns it around and she says, you know, I'm so excited to be here and I just want to do a good job. So it it gets out of that piece of, I think, feeling the self-loathing or the self-defeat. And she's yes. able to say, oh, I'm here because I have something to say and they're here to listen to it. And perhaps they'll walk away with something valuable. Right. And if it wasn't valuable, they wouldn't have picked her in the first place. That kind of comparison is, so, so there's a couple of them. One I, I, I call comparing your how you feel inside to what you see on the outside. The person that she's comparing herself to, she may not have any idea whether that person is feeling those same things inside as well. It's funny when you, when, when you see incredibly successful women who still feel like an imposter, you wonder, hmm, maybe this is, this is just something that we all kind of have. It's just keep us humble in a way. But the, and the difference is it doesn't stop them from taking action. They don't need to feel like they're on top of the game and the best in order to go out and do what they need to do. So when I talk about unwavering confidence, it's really about self-trust. It's about knowing there's something I'm here to do. It's doing it without attachment to how it lands and it will land however it will land and usually a lot better than the scary scenarios that we imagine in our heads. Artists get this. Yes. I did pottery for many years and someone would make a pot and they said you have to be very sent about that pot and be willing to destroy it so your ego doesn't get so wrapped up in the in the outcome of it because we are very outcome and results oriented. The thing that we are attached to Liz is is that we, we put our self-worth as a barometer of the outcome. So if something goes well, it means we're worthy. If it doesn't go well, it means, oh, we're not worthy. Maybe we suck. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Rather than whatever the outcome is, is using that data to, to learn from it. How can I do it better next time? What was the part that people resonated with or didn't resonate with? And what can I do next? 
rather than using it as information, they're, they're using it as a measure of their own self-worth. And that's where we get into trouble and stop ourselves from actually taking the actions that we want to do. Exactly. I mean, it could be timing. If you started a business at the end of 2008, you may not have had as much success as if you started a business at the beginning of 2012. You know, the difference was the economies were different. I always think timing is one thing. And sometimes you have a great idea, but people aren't ready for it yet. Maybe someone else came in with that idea before you did, which brings me to your second point about people who think there's just not enough room for me. Like we already have a million, whatever, voice actors or coaches. Why should I even try? Because I I can't find a place among all those other people. (laughs) And so I like to say in those cases, it's like, oh, well, there's, there's someone doing that kind of genre of music already. What? There's no room for me. And yet we see new musicians launching year after year. I think the world needs something fresh all the time. And so each individual who wants to do it can bring a fresh perspective. There's already so many different bottled waters. Why put another bottled water on the market? So, so there's always room for something new and different to come through. I think of record cover versions. When somebody does a cover version of a great song, it introduces it to a new audience. There's a slightly different flavor. And even some people from the original song audience might cross over and appreciate a new take on it too. Those are the kind of things I look at when I think it's been done before. Well, what's the newness that you're bringing to it? What's the slight different lens that you're bringing to something or the unique mix of qualities that you're bringing to that? skill that you want to pursue. So in your case, like voice, voiceovers. My background is radio. I've been listening to music since I was a small child. And there are radio shows that talk about covers. If you want to hear how a song can change, have Johnny Cash cover your song. <laughs> You're going to get a completely right. different song. Or, you know, Motown did the same thing. They had a stable of artists and they would pretty much all cover the same song. And then they would see who had a hit with it. Sometimes several people did. But they all brought a little different something to it. Little something different. But certainly they all got noticed for their talent for putting it out in the first place. So, And, and for the difference that they brought to it. It's amazing how, how we hold on to our limitations. I can't remember who said it, but we, we fight for our limitations. And you get to be whatever those limitations are. But yeah, what is it? Whether you think you can or think you can't? You're right. Yes. So you might as well think you can. I think your third comparison trap was, I'm a nobody. I don't have any connections. That person's connected. How can this ever happen for me? You can create your own path. There's, there's, There's paths. You can read other people's stories of how they did it, how they got to where they got to. But ultimately, you get to decide how you want to create it for yourself. How did it happen? one step at a time it sounds really boring (laughs) and there's no like magic answer other than one step at a time how do you how do you write a book one word at a time one page at a time yeah well I mean it really negates the fact that we have any agency in our lives to say well there's nothing I can do about it now I would ask how much do you really want this thing and and the difference is are you wanting it because having it will then make you happy and make you something else. I want this so that I'll be happy. I want this so that I can prove to these people I've made it rather than enjoying that process. If the process of getting there 
that whole journey doesn't light you up, maybe you don't really want it that much. This is what I would challenge people to think. If we feel that we're really not connected, though, and I think so many people do get a hand. Knowing people, it isn't just it brings up your cachet. It's actually a way of getting help and support. Sure. If you are a person who doesn't reach out, how can you overcome that feeling of, oh, I don't want to bother anybody or they don't really want to deal with me? Is there a strategy for people to use or any strategies for people to use to help them out of that mindset? It does come down to a willingness to ask, to say, here's what I'm interested in doing. Who do you know? that might know something. So, so to be put in touch with people or be put in touch with resources. Do you know where I can find information on X? We have something called Google these days, which you can find anything on, apparently. And I know I make it sound easy. I think what gets us stuck is thinking that, well, it's so much easier for other people. And that part can be true. Some people will have more privilege. They don't have as many hoops to jump through. That's still not a reason not to try if that's what you really want to do. Right. And someone can have connections and maybe have some opportunities that other people might miss. But what is it in that other person's background that brings them that unique outlook? Because I think that is what makes us unique in the gifts that we have to bring to people is saying, well, all right, I I don't have a lot of money and I don't know a lot of important people. But, you know, what's that quality that I bring to this? that perhaps the other person doesn't have because they haven't had to cultivate it. But it is it is about taking that first step, just asking, going to a library and asking, finding resources. I don't know if it's a good enough reason not to try it if you feel like you have to take 100,000 steps, whereas someone only has to take 100 steps to get there. Well, if you don't start with the first step, you're never going to get to the 100,000th. So <laughs> it's that catch-22. But if you don't take that first one, you won't get anywhere. Right. And so it sounds like, oh, and, and like, and I can understand the little child in me wanting to throw a tantrum, like, that's not fair. And sure, life isn't fair. But do you want it? If you want it, take that first step. Which gets me to your fourth point about someone's older, someone's younger, someone's faster, someone's slower, when, you know, taller, balder, more hair, you know, like, right. whatever. Like, there's always something, right? And, and people can feel like, well, there's nothing I can do about it because I'm not that short, fat, tall, skinny one with the bald, curly hair. You know, you know you're trying to do something that's crazy because you're not going to be that. No. No matter what I want to do, if I really want to be a basketball player at my height, you know, I'm barely over five foot. I think I'll just play that for fun. Exactly. I mean, I'm the woman who took tennis lessons and the guy said, that's great if you're playing baseball. It might take me a little longer to work on that backhand, but but it will take me much longer if I don't start working on it now. You know, one area where I see it quite common is about starting a business when you're older. Oh, I'm too old for this now. You're starting over, but you're not starting from scratch. You're not starting from zero because the decades of experience and things that you've learned in life up until this point, you know, when you're in your 40s or 50s, will come into play in some shape or form. And you are typically wiser, probably been burned a few times. So you, you, you have a different sense of going about things than someone who's a young 20 something starting their own business for the first time. And I believe, I can't quote a statistic, but I think it's been written about that the, the, the level, the probability 
of success in starting your own business at a later stage in life is much higher than the young 20-somethings. And yet, I think the, the problem is media likes to do these like 20 under 20, 30 under 30 kind of categories. And so you see that you see all these, this person becoming a billionaire in there, you know, this tech entrepreneur, you know, he's turning 30 and he's, he's hit the jackpot. And so we get intimidated and we allow those stories to take up space in our heads instead of letting that go. I mean, you can be a sprinter, you can be a marathoner, you know, everybody has their own way of doing things. I've worked with startups. I loved that energy. It's frenetic. It's exciting. People are accomplishing things very quickly um, and generally getting a really great car at the end of whatever the enterprise (laughs) is, right? And, And that's one type of energy and it's great to be around and it's a very youthful energy, not not because it involves a lot of young people, but that's the energy. But then there's the energy that needs to be maintained so that you can have longevity in whatever that pursuit is. That's what being older does. You know the long game. You're able to look back and say, okay, well, that worked or that didn't work. Or I I know I need to be patient at this juncture so that I can get to the next step so that I can do this for as long as I would like to, or you know, as, as long as current conditions allow. That's why I love working with people from different perspectives so that you're not all, you're not in internal vision. I think Yes, does it make the, the, the project something more complex and involves more discussion and finding common ground? Yes. But the end result is so much richer. That's what I found in my own experience. And that's what I believe. I wish more people would be that way too. That fifth trap is they are more fill in the blank. And it, it goes hand in hand with, you know, number four, that yes. somebody has something that I don't have. Right, right. For some reason, they don't see the inverse of that. We tend to focus, and that, that's what I call the, the scarcity mindset, and we're focusing on what we don't have, forgetting about what we do have, the, the strengths that are ours already, and building on that. So, so when you were talking about height, someone who is tall, that might be beneficial for certain professions and certain tasks. But then there, there are other Actually, there's a lot of professions and things you can do in life that doesn't involve any relevance to height. And, and you can make up for it in other ways. Some people who aren't taught might be faster. They might be more nimble. There's certain sports where they have to get low much quicker. And if you're really tall, and it's harder to get down on the ground because your legs have to, <laughs> there's more of them to bend and move, you know, more of your body to maneuver. It's taking whatever trait that you admire and appreciate in yourself and looking how to utilize that. And we've been talking sort of in sports analogies since the, know, yeah. since the Olympic talk. I was thinking about some of the ways that you work with people and inclusivity in terms of, I think, you know, when you feel included, that helps you with your confidence. You feel like you belong somewhere, that you're valued, you're welcome. Right. And when you think about any organization, it requires people to, to bring in different skill sets and different qualities in order to create success for that organization. Even in like in the sports team, you you have people playing different positions and all of it. You, you don't win by yourself. It's not that kind of sport. Business is a team sport, unless you're a solo pr- entrepreneur, but it's a team sport. You, you have other people bringing different skill sets. Inclusion can mean valuing 
the mindset, not the mindset, the, the viewpoints from the different departments too, so that something doesn't get missed off. As your business expands beyond into new geographies, into new categories, you bring on people that have a different input. As organizations get bigger, they do get more complicated. And if you know that that's the case it, it, and see that some things, it, it will take longer because you're no longer a small, nimble startup. You, you're, you're this big. So I, I compare it to being a small boat versus a, a container boat, a container ship. You can't turn it around as fast because there's more people involved, there's more pieces involved. And so if you know that that's the environment that you are operating in, then hopefully people will be a little bit more patient, uh, listen a bit more, understand a bit, you know, be a bit more curious and find the common ground in all of it. I always come back to finding common ground because when you don't find common ground, you're off in different planes. You're, you're, you're not launching from the same same place. Pauline, are you on the more optimistic side that we can include everybody on the boat or ship? And also, can we cultivate courageous leaders to helm that ship and find a crew that is willing to help navigate those waters when they get a little choppy? Sure. So Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called The Tipping Point. And I like to think of it as that tipping point, getting to that critical mass where more people can see that this is a better way to operate, to, to include all different views and opinions and backgrounds because it makes for a richer environment. Until we get past that fear of, thinking because they're different in, in whatever way we should be scared until we see that that's not something to be scared of. This is always going to be a problem. And so it's hard to expect people to change from one end, you know, to completely flip. But what's the extra five, 10% openness, curiosity, or understanding that you're willing to incorporate into your life so, so that you make a small effort to see something new that's a good start to be a bit more receptive to something that's different to them because I'm I'm learning all the time whether we'll get there in in my lifetime I don't know I like to do my part in in moving it forward either I'm doing nothing and maintaining the status quo or I'm doing something and I'm just one of you know millions billions of people trying to move the world to a better place. And that's the only thing that helps keep me going when I come back to what am I doing with my life, right? Am I helping the, the causes that I believe in or, or am I not? Well, Pauline, keep doing what you're doing. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Liz. That's confidence coach Pauline Chung on courageous leadership and getting out of the comparison trap. If you like what you hear, tell a friend, and please subscribe. And you can get in touch at Liz at EmbarkThePodcast.com. See you next week. In the meantime, thanks for listening.